Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. Like so many key figures in the Old Testament, <clears throat> Zechariah was an aged priest. Some estimates are that there may have been as many as 20,000 priests in Israel at this time. They were divided into 24 divisions and chosen by lot to officiate at certain rituals in the temple. It was an opportunity that would come to a priest only once in their lifetime. And some, <clears throat> like some of the other Old Testament figures, Zechariah was childless. He and his wife Elizabeth had no children. The birth of John was announced to Zechariah while he served in the temple. Elizabeth is to give birth to a son in her old age. And this child will prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, Zechariah is startled, maybe shocked, a little bit bewildered. He and Elizabeth, like Abraham and Sarah before them, were kind of old to have kids. Listen to the scripture. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent, here, sent to speak to you and tell you of this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah challenges the messenger. Gabriel reprimands him and announces that because of his failure to believe the announcement, he will not be able to speak until the child is born. So, speechless, Zechariah awaits the birth of a son. Have you ever thought about the silent discussions that Zechariah and Elizabeth must have had? Elizabeth always had the last word. <laughs> I know, some of you think that sounds pretty good, don't you? Wouldn't you love to know what they shared as they awaited the birth of their son? Finally, the child is born. And on the eighth day is circumcised and named. Elizabeth says his name is John. So obviously Zechariah has shared the name that was announced by the angel. When some of the relatives think the boy should be named after his father, Zechariah indicates his name is John. And the scripture says his tongue is loose. His tongue is loose, and Zechariah begins to praise God. And that's our text for today. The text that the choir sang for us. It's a father's song. Like Mary's Magnificat, the Zechariah's song was named Benedictus for the first two words, blessed be, in the Latin version of the hymn. 
And while there is debate among scholars about whether the hymn was actually written by Zechariah or Luke or early Christians, that is really not our issue today. Today we examine the message of the song. The hymn really has two verses or two emphases. The first describes the role of Israel's deliverer, God's Messiah. And the second describes the role of John in preparing the way for the Messiah. When we read Scripture, we need to try to set it in its historical context. We need to try to understand the writer's perspective of what he is trying to say. The biblical writers do not always write like modern historians would write. Now, there were two basic beliefs that determined the approach to the Old Testament in the earliest Christian writings. The first was the conviction that the God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ was also the God of the Old Testament. And there was continuity between his revelation in Jesus and his activity in Israel's history. It's one God. Continuity. The second was that early Christians believed that Jesus was the eschatological or the ultimate revelation of God in history. That meant that Jesus Christ is the key to interpreting what God had already done. Now we understand and interpret all Scripture from the perspective of God's redemptive work in Christ. That's why when we read the Old Testament, we see Christ there. I believe Luke was writing well after the events recorded in his gospel. I believe he saw the, true, the church as the true Israel of God. And we should try to understand passages like this one we've read this morning from that perspective. Zechariah's song is a song of deliverance. Zechariah's personal joy is linked with a kind of larger patriotism. He is thinking of the gift of his child as part of a far larger and greater gift. What God had given him would be a channel of God's mercy for a whole people. It represented mercy that every individual would share. He's looking way back. His joy is linked with what would have been true ever since the days of Abraham. God had made a covenant. The prophets proclaimed and illuminated that covenant. They called upon the people to be faithful to the covenant. Zechariah sees God's work as not merely for him, but for an entire people. What God has done, he has done for all people, everywhere. You see, Zechariah's perception was that God had already visited and redeemed his people. His song has that kind of eschatological ring to it already accomplished activity. God had already accomplished His redemption because He had planted in the lives a spiritual quality and had given them a spiritual commission which no external events could destroy. Whoever and whatever might be their enemies, 
They could escape from them into a deeper inner security of faith. Whatever might be the events of the moment, this nation, this people could still have a heroic confidence. They were granted a gift from God. Zechariah's song says they could serve God without fear. Without fear. You know, as we follow the progression of Zechariah's song, it seems clear that the true end of God's redemption is not merely the deliverance of his people from political domination, as important as that was. It is the creation of conditions in which God's people can worship and serve God without fear. Schweitzer wrote, The ultimate purpose of God's salvation presupposes deliverance from the enemy, but His purpose is in fact undisturbed worship. God's deliverance makes worship in peace possible. Possible. It makes unhindered worship possible. What would fearless worship look like today, in our day? Who or what are the enemies that might keep us from such worship today? From whom do we need to be rescued? Are you afraid of the world around you? Are you afraid of yourself? Or the sin and guilt that you carry? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of God? His purpose is that we can worship without fear. Without fear. Horn of salvation means powerful deliverer or mighty liberator. Jesus reinterpreted this hope and and redirected it toward a kind of spiritual and universal goal. Zechariah's song is essentially a song of deliverance. We are delivered from fear. Someone said, sometimes the Lord calms the storm. And sometimes he lets the storm rage and he calms his child. He calms his child. E. Stanley Jones wrote, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are the sand in the machinery of life. Oil is the, faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is grasping for breath. These are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. They are my native air. The way I live, we are free to worship without fear. God has delivered us and set us free. Now, Zachariah's song is not just a song of deliverance. Because toward the end of the song, 
he changes directions. And Zechariah's song is also a song of preparation. Some believe the last verses of Zechariah's song were used as a kind of chant in the early churches. They describe how God's purposes for his people come together in, the, in an announcement of what one man, John, would do. It sets forth the meaning of the ministry of John the baptizer. It tells what John's going to do. If we listen carefully to the description, we can begin to see that it not only applies to John, but maybe it could be applied in spirit to any of us. Obviously, nobody's going to duplicate John's historic role. No one will live in his identical circumstances or fulfill that exact role. But the ideals set forth are those to which all of us can aspire. What's the highest destiny to which any person can aspire? Is it measured in obvious personal wealth? Do we evaluate the applause of the world? These might well be only the shallow estimates of an unthinking crowd. Life is certainly more than that. The supreme achievement in any career would be essentially to do for its own generation what it is prophesied that John would do for his. He was so to walk in the light of God's countenance as to open the way for his increasing presence in our world. What if we lived in a way that made it possible for God's glory to be shown forth? It's not unlike what Jesus said when he said, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. To teach people to find their only ultimate salvation, not in the manipulation of their power or pride, but through humble and contrite hearts that reach out for forgiveness of their sins. To bring in the dawn of a new day that only God can give, so that those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death may be guided into the way of peace. You see, those words from the past ought to kind of stab us and wake us up. We ought to see and acknowledge that our 21st century needs are not unlike the world of John. We live in a world that is still filled with darkness. We live in the shadow of death. How many people have learned the literal meaning the literal meaning of that in the past century of wars and a world of terror. Fear drives so much of the activity in our world. And it's growing every day. When will it be over? And from where will the power to overcome this fear come? Let us prepare the way for the one who will bring us peace. Zechariah's song is a song of deliverance, but it is also a song of 
preparation. It is a song for our day too. So let's sing his song. Let's sing it. Next Sunday, we begin our celebration of Advent as we move toward the celebration of the birth of our Savior. One commentator suggested that John the Baptist exists as the gospel's necessary pause before Advent. It is there to confront us. John confronts us with ourselves. He calls us to confession and repentance. He calls us to change our lives and to center ourselves on the holiness of God that invaded the world when Jesus was born. See, commentators note that as beautiful as Zachariah's song is, in a way it's kind of an interrupted interruption in Luke's narrative. I mean, just look at what happens in chapter 2. It's the most famous version of the Christmas story. That is what we all are so eager to get to in the coming month. The Christmas season keeps getting longer and Black Friday is only days away. We just can't wait to jump into the second chapter of Luke to see the manger, the baby, the shepherds, the angels in the sky. But Luke forces us to pause to take a moment. Just before Zechariah's song, everyone is asking a question that we don't often ask in Advent. What's going on here? What does all this really mean? Then comes Zechariah's song. In some ways, it is an answer to that question. As Zechariah shares biblical images, including God's covenant with Abraham, the exodus from Egypt, the stories of King David, as well as this rich energy that describes the rising sun from heaven and the path or the way of peace. The story told in Luke 2 is beautiful. It's vital and it deserves our celebration. But we won't be ready for that visit of the Christ child until we take this cue from Luke. We must pause, take a few deep, reflective breaths, and ponder the message that John the Baptist brought to us first. Johnson wrote, John's role in preparing the people for restoration involves forgiveness of sins rather than rallying the troops. Likewise, the Messiah's role is not one of violent revolt, but rather of leading the people in the path of peace. And Audrey West wrote, In the end, Zechariah's song is not simply a way to announce the birth of John the Baptist, but rather to proclaim God's faithfulness, God's salvation, and God's peace. A song of deliverance. A song of preparation. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, how grateful we are 
for the song. For a song that calls us to remember that we've been set free from fear. Free to worship. Free to engage God. To worship you. Gracious Father, grant that we would do that with open hearts and lives. And then, Father, use our lives to prepare the way for the Savior in our day. That His light might shine on the people that still sit in darkness. For we pray in the name of our Savior. Amen.